Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, Lenten Preaching Edition, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church, recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. Okay, so I've been fasting for about 24 hours, 26 hours, so I can eat the Boston cream pie. I'm super, super excited to be back. It is one of the more amazing things that you can do, and Calvary has been such good friends to us. Congratulations on 100 years keeping this tradition going. It's an honor to be a part of it, truly, truly. And I love that you guys are embarking on a capital campaign and that you're going to be even more present and outward-facing in the city. What a beautiful thing. I got to come today with beautiful Kim, who is the director of the store in Nashville, Tennessee, where she sells about a million dollars worth of products a year just out of our retail store, which is amazing. And one of the directors of the National Network, Taria Moore, who is traveled with us today, so we have an A-team, so please, any questions you have or any way that you want to engage, these are amazing survivor leaders of Thistle Farms who have really spread the good news that women heal and women come off the streets. As far as my barefoot, I just want to address that sad comment. Um, If you look from the 16th century on, there's a whole tradition um, of decalced nuns who when they take their vows, they take off their shoes to be in solidarity with women on the streets. It is a beautiful tradition. You should all practice it. Sometimes people say, like, why do you take off your shoes? Why do you take off your shoes? But an equally good question is, why are you wearing shoes? So I just would ask you what it is that makes you keep your shoes on all the time because it's super fun to take them off. I think Lent is revival. That is where I am this year, that Lent is a revival experience. That revival starts in the desert. That it is that place where we have this experience of spirit that revives us. And in the gospel story, that revival has its crowning moment on Good Friday where love is crowned. The logical conclusion for that revival is the alleluias on Easter morning. But this, in the desert, in this space that we read about this morning where Jesus is entering into that ministry is where revival happens. So how does revival happen in the desert might be one of the things we could reflect on. Why the desert? And I think the first reason is that the desert is a place to remember we are light. There's nothing like the desert to remind you of the light in the world where you see the stars brighter than anywhere. To remind ourselves that it is the tiniest bit of light that can carry us through the darkness. And that we have been called to be that light for others in their deserts. Many of you who have been around for a while have met an amazing leader at Thistle Farms called Ty. And Ty came to Thistle Farms almost 15 years ago, experiencing a lot of what the women who I've been just so grateful to walk alongside their journeys 
for more than 25 years now. Ty came and shared the story of you know, early childhood trauma. When she tells her story, she talks about trying to hide from her stepfather in middle school and wasn't always successful. And how by the time she was 16, she was trying to get in and out of cars, figuring out which ones were safe, and she wasn't always successful. And she was part of a sting. She got sentenced to many years in prison. There was one outstanding charge, but they let her out, and she came to Thistle Farms, and she became the candle maker. She was the one bearing the light. I remember one time she went with me to... um, the Daughters of the King Triennial in Salt Lake City. And the gift for the Triennial was when Ty walked in, everyone had a candle lit. So there was like 600 beautiful candles that she had helped make. Kim was a candle maker before Ty, right? After Ty, after Ty. So Ty had one outstanding charge. She was doing what she was supposed to be doing. She was bearing light in this world. She was making restitution with the courts. She was restoring relationships with her family. She was paying taxes. She was costing the city nothing. And she was doing the heavy lifting of recovery. But she had this last charge. She went back and they sentenced her to 14 more years. So she left Thistle Farms and she went into the prison system in Tennessee for about three years when finally the advocates and attorneys that had been employed to help her got her back out and she was put on parole. The next day she came into Thistle Farms when she got out and she started making candles again. And then I saw her doing that. I was like, how are you doing that? How are you not so mad that we decide when justice starts at 18, where, we're, where people have failed you over and over again, where our community has abandoned you, where you were putting time out for more than three years to sit in a cell. Why have you not just said, you know, forget it? She's like, I love it, and I love community, and I want to be a part of this. And I'm like, you could teach a master's course in forgiveness that we could all learn from, that I need to learn from, of the stupid things that I've held on to. So last week, I was not having a great day, and I look down and I have a text, and it's from Ty. And she says, this week I am off parole. After another 10 years of waiting, And the first place I'm going, Becca, is to the passport office. Because I have a lot more light to shine in this world. It's a remembrance that sometimes even if we are light, it can take decades to let it shine. It finds a path, but it's hard to do sometimes. And we have to do that over time and through seasons. We don't have to always be inspired and it be bright and sunny. Sometimes it takes a long and circuitous journey to figure out how it is that light can shine, but we can't let it go out. Today is also the anniversary of the bombing um, in Kiev when Russia invaded. 
And Thistle Farms, if all of you that know Thistle Farms, we have a program in Nashville, we have residential programs, we have sister communities around the country, like in Memphis, where more than 600 women have long-term free beds, but we also have global partners. And we start new programs with women who have undergone suffering, abuse, the violence and vulnerability of poverty and human trafficking. And you know there is a huge link between women who are refugees and women who are trafficked. That, that connection has been there forever. And one of the things that we need to do is continue to help people remember that, to connect human trafficking and women without identity and country who are the most vulnerable that you can be in this world. So after the bombing started, we got a grant and we began a program called Love Rises. And a woman named Marina, who lives in Kiev right now, she's from Eastern Ukraine, like all the knitters who, are, who have to flee their homes, who lost family members, who were devastated, leaving anything they knew. And they wanted to knit together. It started with six, they're now at eight. It's called Love Rises, and they knit blankets. What I learned through them and through the work that I've been doing is that it is the most desolate places that it's the hardest to get light into. You know you can't take a candle into prison, right? It's not allowed. That beautiful light that we dawn with our altars to remind us of the dancing spirit and the light you can't even take it in there. And the women in Ukraine were knitting and knitting and knitting. And finally they said, they, when the bombing began in earnest again back in October, what they really wanted for gifts from us are headlamps. There's no light in the bunkers. And if they were going to knit, they needed headlamps. And I woke up this morning to a WhatsApp text from Marina, the head of it, who have been working for a year, and she said, please tell everyone that we want to thank the people who have supported us through this darkest time, through our desert time, with the threat still looming of imminent danger, that you bring us hope, you bring us compassion, and we survive on hope and compassion right now. And so we have dawned on the altar I brought five blankets with me that they have knit in the bunkers in Ukraine. Now, these are expensive. They're like 300 bucks, but I promise you they cost thousands to make. <laughs> but if you have a wedding or someone that needs to be a light, feel the light in the desert, this is a lifetime beautiful, beautiful gift. And I would love to share this joy and let you wrap yourself in that idea of light in the darkest places. The other reason besides remembering we are light, that the desert is a revival, is it's where we get to meet our fears and our temptations, which revives us. I mean, that's why Jesus is going up there to meet all of that. And to confront all that, not to be victorious, but to prepare his heart for the ministry that he has ahead. So we go to the desert and we meet that. My desert was in Toronto this year. It was just a few months ago. And I had been on the road, been teaching, been working. I was tired. I was feeling confused about where I was because I don't really understand the city of Toronto. And the hotel was a couple miles from where this conference was. 
And I was walking down the road and all of a sudden my biggest fear hit me in the face and I thought, I don't have any faith. I felt like I had no faith. I couldn't remember and I was walking with that fear for a minute when all of a sudden out of nowhere a huge black squirrel appeared that I put for you in the bulletin. I had not seen a black squirrel like that in my whole life. Have y'all seen black squirrels? Oh my gosh. I'm not proud of the next thought that went through my head, which was like, oh my God, you could wear that. That's beautiful. <laughs> I didn't keep that thought. I let it pass through. And then my next thought was, I have to take a photo of this and share it with my kids. Well, the darn squirrel ran off. And so then I was on a squirrel chase for about 15 minutes. And when I came back to myself, that squirrel where I got that, I think, award-winning photo was in a cemetery. And I look up and I'm like, I don't have to have faith. Faith has me. My journey begins and ends with God. I know where I'm headed. I don't have to worry about having this or that or even faith. I am being led. I am being led one more step to be curious enough to ask another question, to chase a squirrel, to find out what we need to do to be remembered by God. We get to meet ourselves in those places. It is a gift. Dorothy Day says, the revolution that the world needs now is a revolution of the heart, which means we are ready to meet some of the hardest stuff that lives in us and find our way through that. Finally, I think not only do we get to remember we are light in the importance of light. Not only do we get to meet our fears where we are right now, in the desert, it's the place you search for an oasis, where you search for something new to arise in you, to stir you again. There is a prayer that has helped form my ministry for years. It's the prayer for the missionaries of Singapore, the Women's Missionary Society of Singapore. God, stir the soil. Run the plowshare deep. Overturn the hard, dry ground, even though I weep. Spare no strength or toil, but plant new seeds, free of withered vine and weed, so fresh new flowers can bear. We have to stir the soil in us to cultivate something new, to find those new oases in our lives. That changes all the time in our life. We're not always in the same desert. We won't always meet the same fears. It changes. Dorothy Day, who starts out with We Need a Revolution of a Heart, ends her journey as the founder of the Catholic Workers' Movement, saying, My work now is prayer that where she found that she was called into the desert, 
and to help heal in a revival was prayer. It looks different for us as we always try to remember where it is we are being led in our revival. So let's journey into this desert with thanksgiving. For everyone who loves justice and mercy, who wants to live with a compassionate heart, we are being given a gift in this season to say, I remember, I will show up and I will search with God's mercy. Amen. The Calvary Podcast theme music was composed by Spence Bailey. Special thanks to Robin Banks, Director of Communications at Calvary, and Heidi Rupke, Lenten Preaching Series Coordinator. And thanks to you for listening. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.